You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Well, good morning, everybody. Man, that was really, really good for Time Change Sunday. Not bad. Not bad. You had a lot of coffee. We are really glad you're here with us today. If you're visiting, welcome. And uh, if you're watching online because of whatever the reason being, you stayed home. We're really glad you're still tuning in today. I can't wait to really dig into today's topic. And this is one of those topics where, man, we're going to go through like the entire Bible in one sermon. So we're just going to start now. We'll end after lunch at some point. And uh, we'll, we'll eat all the communion we can find. And uh, it'll be great. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I do have a lot of ground to cover today. So my intro is going to be very short, but I want to start by asking you a question. And this is really for those of you who know who God is. You've already surrendered to God already. Here's my question. What gift has God given you to serve him? Do you know it? This may shock some of you, but when I was a little kid, I was extremely shy. True story. You can ask my parents. So like when my parents, my, my dad uh, worked at Prudential and he was a, a manager for an office. And when my dad would introduce me to anybody, I would hide behind his leg and like peer out from the side. I did not want to be up front in front of people. Now that did start to change before I surrendered my life to God. But here's how that changed. When I got to like fourth or fifth grade and I started realizing I could become the center of attention if I was loud and boisterous, my personality kind of started switching and going the other direction. I started becoming loud and obnoxious, and uh, I don't know if my mom knows this, but I got in trouble a lot in fifth grade, and mom, if you're watching at home, I love you, and uh, I got quite a few detentions and held in from going outside, and the teacher actually was a neighbor, and she's like, Matt, come on, help me out here. I'm like, it's just too much fun. I'm sorry. And, uh, but what happened was when, when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, he started to take that loud, boisterous side that was changing the shy, timid side, and he was starting to give it meaning and purpose. And so what I found was over time, it took a long time to kind of learn and grow and discover, was I started learning how to walk in humility while being on a stage. And some of you are like, you've learned that? I'm learning, okay, I'm learning. And I'm learning how to do that because I really believe that God has called me to read and study his word and to teach it to other people in a way that makes sense. And if some reason I read his Bible and I love, like I study and study and I read and read and listen and listen, hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. And the biggest struggle I have every week is how am I going to take what I've just been reading and spit it out in a way that makes sense because you don't have time to put in the 10 or 15 hours or whatever that I put in to making sense of this. And somehow every Sunday I walk away and I go, God, I don't know how you did that. I literally don't know how because what was flying around in my head and I usually go home every Sunday anxious. How did any of that make sense to anybody? And I go, listen, I went, oh, that actually made sense. Good job, God. That is the Holy Spirit inside me. I know when God is at work because you'll come up to me and say, pastor, it's like I was the only person in the room at that moment. And I don't know how he does it. And people will come up to me and say, man, when you said this, I knew you were speaking to me. And I'll literally in my head go, I never said that. And I'll go back and listen to the sermon and go, see, I never said that. I have no idea what that person's talking about, except for I know what. Who was doing the talking? The Holy Spirit. Now, you may be sitting there. If you're visiting with us, watching online, you're like, see, this is why I don't like Christians. They're weird. Like, what in the world is he talking about? We believe the Holy Spirit is one of I don't know how else to say that. He is part of the Trinity of God. He is God. And God is three and God is one. And I know that may be a big concept and we're talking about it in this series, but not really talking about it in this series. 
There is such profound unity between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You cannot look at God and say, he or they. You can only say, God. But then when we read our Bible, we find he and they often laid out for us in such a way that it's clear there's three, but there's such profound unity. And this is what God desired for your marriage. This is what God desired for his church. This is what God desired for communities. Why do you think that Satan is working so hard to divide Republicans and Democrats and everybody who has a different opinion in the United States today? He desperately wants to keep the image of God from being imprinted anywhere in the world. But what God is doing is bringing people back into the image of his son. And he's doing that through the power of the spirit. So now what I want to do is I want to start in Genesis. And we're going to walk to the gospels. And it's not going to be quite as arduous as it sounds. But I want to show you the work of the Holy Spirit and what it means for you today. And we're going to end with this question again. What gift has God given you to serve him? All right, so turn with me. Genesis chapter one, verse one. I wasn't joking. We're starting in the very beginning. Almost every Sunday, I connect a dot because everything in the Bible flows out of these few chapters. Genesis chapter one, verse one, the NIV. It says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty, Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Notice I added there the word fluttering. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. And God said, let there be light. Because again, God speaks of big voices. And there was light. Now, we are not getting into a conversation about how old the earth is and seven days versus many years or whatever. It's not important for today's conversation at all. What I want you to see is a few key things as we lay a foundation for things. In the creation story, we already see God is present, but also somebody else is present. The Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God, go back, if you will, to that first slide there. Verse two, yeah, the Spirit of God is hovering. In the actual literal translation would be fluttering, why? It's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, hovering is appropriate, but there's this thing called the Targum. The Targum is an ancient uh, first century translation of the Hebrew Bible. Many of the people in Jesus' day were speaking Greek because of the Babylonian captivity and the way history unfolded. So by the time Jesus shows up, Greek and Aramaic were the common languages. And so the common person who didn't have the training of everybody else didn't understand Hebrew. So they wrote the Targum to help people understand and translate the Hebrew scriptures into the common language for the common person. And I find it fascinating because here is what the Targum says of this same translation. Ready? And the earth was without form and empty, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God fluttered above the face of the waters like a dove. And God spoke, let there be light. So is the Holy Spirit really in the shape of a dove? Well, yes and no, and yes and no, and yes. You find I say that a lot? The answer is yes, and the answer is no. The bigger point is what's happening here. I find it fascinating, and you need to hang on to this. It's like tuck it away as a note in your brain for later on. I find it fascinating that the Holy Spirit is really seen over creation 
carrying out creation. And as he's carrying out creation, life begins from water. That is critical for the rest of understanding many of the things that happen throughout the Bible. I am not an evolutionist, nor am I even a theistic or Christian evolutionist. But we are told by those in the scientific field that life comes from water, and I'm not surprised in that the Bible says, yeah, there's the spirit hovering over the waters as creation is beginning. And what exactly that means, I don't know. But I do think it's important, and we'll get to it later. So tuck it away, and we'll get to it later. Let's talk about this Holy Spirit for a minute. The word spirit is the word, the Hebrew word, ruach. Now, if you're going to say it right, you got to go, which means everybody's going to end up with a coronavirus before the service is over. But I'm going to have you say this word with me on three. Hang on. One, two, three. And I'll go, ruach. Ready? One, two, three. Ruach. Now, welcome in Hendricks County, the virus spread because of Kingsway Christian Church. You're welcome. That wasn't as funny as I'd hoped that it would be. Everybody's like, <laughs> that's better. All right, that was better. That was better. Ruach, ruach. And it literally means breath, wind, or spirit. That's kind of weird, isn't it? How does the word spirit mean breath or wind? Well, let me show you why. As the story progresses and God makes everything there is and stars and planets and everything else and he forms Adam. Adam is the actual word in Hebrew. And Adam literally just means man. It was real profound. And Adam's name was man. And when God formed Adam from the dust of the earth, let's take a look at Genesis chapter two, verse seven. Then the Lord God formed man, a man, Adam, from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So God takes dust, takes dirt, forms it into a human, Adam, and then the Spirit of God comes and breathes life into the man. See, what the Spirit does over and over and over again is animates. And I know that's like not a great word, unless you're into CGI, unless you understand what Pixar does. And what, what the Holy Spirit does is brings life. What the Holy Spirit does is brings about things that didn't exist before. Adam, as he was, was simply just dirt formed into a shape with bones and flesh and muscles. He wasn't alive but that God breathed into him and the man gained life and he came alive. And Ruach, Holy Spirit, has to do with the fact that the Spirit brings life. Now, if you were to walk around and let's say um, somebody falls down, you're at Disney World, you know, and they're tired from waiting in lines and it's hot or whatever, and they fall down and somebody goes, ah, are they dead? One of the ways you could find out if they were dead or alive is you could walk over and you could listen for the breath coming from their mouth, correct? Or back in the day, you might take a little pocket mirror, right, and hold it up. Anybody ever taught this when you're doing like CPR and you put it up there, are they breathing? Is there anything going on in there? And this is one of the ways that you could tell if somebody is alive. Because, and this is all wrapped up in the Hebrew word for spirit. Because breath and wind, it's all coming from the mouth of God. Maybe this isn't cool to anybody else. But I think it's profound for everything that we need to know for where we're going today. Now, what happens next is God builds a garden. 
At that time, no water had fallen from the sky, we're told in Genesis. There'd been no rain, no snow, nothing like that at all. Adam and Eve, the Adam and the Wu man, together, they are naked and unashamed. So this is an extremely beautiful environment for them. It is not harsh for them in any way like that. And he takes this garden and literally grows it up in the moment. Literally, his trees, again, I've been reading C.S. Lewis, and this happens in there, and it's just amazing. As he's growing Narnia, it's like, and things are just growing and vibrant. This is what God is doing. And he grows this garden, and he takes Adam, and he sticks him in the garden. And then what's critical for where we're going today is, yes, the Holy Spirit is in the creation, over, hovering over the waters, fluttering like a dove. And then the Holy Spirit breathes into Adam the breath of God, and he gives him life. But then God takes Adam and he sticks him in the garden. And notice what he says to him. Genesis chapter two, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. Work it and care for it are two important words that we will see over and over and over again throughout the Bible. Let me just read a quote. This comes from a guy named G.K. Beale. He's a theology professor, and I've learned a lot from G.K. Beale, especially about Revelation. But he says this. The two Hebrew words, work it and take care of it, can easily be and usually are translated to serve and to guard. When these two words occur together later in the Old Testament, without exception, they have this meaning and refer either to Israelites serving and guarding or obeying, which, <clears throat> that, sorry, obeying God's word, it comes up 10 times or more often to priests who serve God in the temple and guard the temple from unclean things entering it. Then there's a list of verses where you could see one or two of those words referenced. Therefore, Adam was to be the first priest to serve in and guard God's temple. Hang on to that. When Adam fails to guard the temple by sinning and letting it in, in an unclean serpent to defile the temple, Adam loses his priestly role and the two cherubim take over the responsibility of guarding the garden temple. God stationed the cherubim to guard the way to the tree of life. See Genesis 3.24. Their role became memorialized in Israel's later temple when God commanded Moses to make two statues of angelic figures and station them on either side of the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies in the temple. Now, if you're new at this thing called faith, you're like, I literally have no idea what he's talking about. This is where it's my job to take hours and hours and hours of stuff and boil it down for you in a very succinct way to make sense of it. Stick with me. So what you're starting to see is when God created the first garden on his earth in his cosmos, what he was doing was building a temple. He was building a place where he would come and be with his people. In fact, the very Hebrew words that are later used to describe God who walks about in the temple that is built are the same Hebrew words used to describe God when he comes down out of heaven and he walks in the garden with Adam and Eve. Let me just suggest to you today, and this is critical to understand everything else you're going to understand about the Holy Spirit, the garden is the first temple. The garden is sacred space. I'll get to what sacred space is more in a minute, but I want you to get this. 
So when Adam and Eve sinned and God took them and put them out of the garden, God put two cherubim there with flaming swords to guard the way to the tree of life. And the goal there, as I've said before, is this way, Adam and Eve can't sin and in their sinful state, unredeemed, come back into the garden, eat fruit from the tree of life and live forever stuck in their sinful state. No, God had to deal with their sin. So God sends them out. And then the rest of the Old Testament is a journey of how God is pursuing and bringing his people closer and closer and closer and closer to him as he continues to chase after and pursue and woo and love. And it is a beautiful love story. If you don't understand it as a love story, then you need to go back and read the book of Hosea sometime, which is weird. I'm not gonna say it's not, but it's a beautiful picture of how God keeps pursuing even though we keep running. Oh, and it's beautiful. Then go read Luke 15 sometime and just see how much your father loves you. But what God does is he continues to meet with his people and he gets a little closer and a little closer and a little closer. And he creates this Ark of the Covenant and inside the Ark, this is not like Raiders of the Lost Ark, it is, but it's not, all right? So you gotta like strip away Hollywood for a minute. Some of you are like, Raiders of the what? Don't worry about it. Anyway, you're a little too young. Um, And it's similar, but it's not. But what we have is holy things inside the ark that are to represent the Israelites wandering through the desert. And let me show you a picture real quick. And this is not a real picture because the ark has been missing for thousands of years and nobody has any idea where it is today. But this is uh, just an idea of what the ark could ever would have looked like. You've got these poles, only the priests were able to carry it. And on the top sat these two cherubim with their wings facing each other. And this sat inside the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies had this huge curtain that guarded the way to this so that you couldn't go in there without being the high priest and only then once a year. And this was called the judgment seat of God. It was also called the mercy seat of God because when the priest came in, the high priest, once a year in the right way and he offered a sacrifice, God would ignore all the people's sins for one more year and then they'd do it again and it was called the great day of atonement. You could read about it for yourself in Leviticus chapter 16, the third book of the Bible, chapter 16. That's fascinating, I find, but anyway. So these angels' wings are pointing towards each other and it was given to Moses that way to memorialize the fact that God was guarding the way to the tree of life with these angelic cherubim. We are desperately longing to get back to God, but we can't get to him. Do you get it? Adam was the first priest in the first temple, and God said, I desperately want you to be back here to my presence, but you can't handle it yet. So God has Solomon build a temple. Oh, and it's beautiful, and it's big, and it's ornate, and it's amazing. And what's amazing is when you go into that very temple, you find all these garden images throughout the temple. Almond blossoms and vines and grapes. What in the world are these things doing in a temple? That doesn't make any sense. Except for God is trying to illustrate for you what holy space, sacred space looks like. He's trying to take everything back to a garden. He's trying to let everybody know, I'm trying to do something in you, through you, with you, and I want it to be like it was when I first built it. But there's this obstacle. Our sin, our rebellion keeps getting in the way. 
And so the temple serves as this constant reminder. There's these sacrifices brought in. And based off whether you were sinning and you were dealing with your sacrifice or whether you were saying thanks to God and you just wanted to pour out a thank offering or whether you were doing some sort of prayer offering or had a need or whatever it is, when you came into the temple, you often had to bring sacrifice. And there was just blood, they would say, pouring out of the temple because of all the animals being slaughtered. And the whole point is to remind you of just how costly sin is. That's just how wide the gap is. That Everything is out of whack. Nothing is the way it's supposed to be. So when God makes the 12 tribes of Israel, he needs somebody to work in the temple. And he takes the tribe of the Levites, and he, they are the, the tribe responsible for caring for the temple. Here's what's fascinating. Let me show you this in just one passage of the Old Testament. Numbers chapter 3, verse 5. It says this. The Lord said to Moses, Bring the tribe of Levi and present them to Aaron, the priest, to assist him. They are to perform duties for him and for the whole community at the tent of meeting by doing the work of the tabernacle. They are to care of all the furnishings of the tent of meeting, fulfilling the obligations of the Israelites by doing the work of the tabernacle. So what God is doing through the Levites is he's bringing Adam, Adam, back to being a priest in the temple. Do you get the progression? This is critical to understand everything I'm going to show you about the Holy Spirit still. You're like, Pastor, we don't have enough time. Like, I know. I feel like I say this every week. But this is under, you gotta understand this. God created you because he loves you. Because he loves you, he has gifted you. Because he has gifted you, he wants you to serve in his temple. One of the major differences between Christianity and Islam. Islam believes that Allah made all of the universe and he needed somebody to work it. So he made human beings to be his workers, slaves for lack of a better phrase. In Christianity, that's not at all the teaching. God made his amazing creation for us. Not us, for his amazing creation. And there's a huge world of a difference in the way you understand that. Because God doesn't need slaves. But God is looking to invite you into a story of serving him in his temple. He did it with Adam and Eve in the beginning, and he followed it up with the priests in the Old Testament. But the problem is, every priest was a Levite, but not every Levite was a priest. And you gotta understand this. Because only select few men of a certain age, a certain training, a certain understanding could serve in the temple. Women couldn't, foreigners couldn't, none of the other tribes could. Only a certain subgroup of a certain subgroup was good enough, qualified enough, able to serve in this way and in this capacity. But that's not the end of the story. Let's talk for a minute about sacred space. I've used that word now. What is sacred space? Sacred space is an area dedicated for union between the creator and his creation. It's literally the overlap of heaven and earth. It's this place where heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss and your heart turns violently inside of your chest. Okay, so only like 20 of you have heard that song. But anyway, the whole idea is it's this place where the seen and the unseen become one. In the garden, God walked with Adam, and however exactly that worked, God, Adam could see God. He could talk with God. But once the angels had to guard the way and Adam could no longer come into the garden, it was different. So God created sacred space 
an ark, a tabernacle, a temple for people to come and still meet with him. And it was said that that was his house. That was where he lived. Now this is critical for now, let's turn our focus to the New Testament to understand what exactly is happening here. Take a look with me now. It, one of the gospel books, the book of John, chapter one, verse one, it says this. Notice the similarities. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Anytime you're gonna see in the beginning, it's gonna make you think of what? Genesis chapter one, verse one. In other words, John is writing, and he's one of the best friends of Jesus, literally calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. And John wants you to understand, I'm about to tell you about Jesus, but you need to understand who Jesus is. Jesus is God. He was with God in the beginning. So he is separate from God. He was with him, but he also is him. This is where we get to Trinity language. And you go, that doesn't make sense. And we go, yep, okay, verse two. <laughs> He was with God in the beginning. But notice this now. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So you've got God the Father, you might say the great planner, strategist. Jesus the Son, the one who's actually doing the creating. And then you have the presence of the Holy Spirit empowering Jesus to do the work. And this is how the creation unfolded. Take a look, verse four. In him, Jesus, was life. Wait a minute. I thought life came from the spirit of God, the ruach, the wind, the breath, breathing life into humans. That's where you can't separate the Trinity. This is why Jesus says, I and the Father are one. When you look at me, you look at him. We can't separate these in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. What did God say in the beginning? Let there be light. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Here's the point to all of this, as we're still building to the relevance of the Holy Spirit. God has always longed for the apex of his creation, man and woman, those made in his image. The rocks weren't made in his image. The birds weren't made in his image. The trees weren't made in his image. The dogs weren't made in his image. Even if you spell them backwards, you still don't get God in his image. Dinosaurs, not in his image. Cats, do we even need to go there? Come on, not in his image. Sorry for all you cat people. Panthers are cool. Anyway. But you... Sometimes I sit with people and they're having a hard time in life and they're starting to wonder if they have any real value. What do I bring to the world? What have I done with my life that's significant? How do I even, I mean, what's the point? Why am I even here? This thing hurts so bad. You know what? The world would be better off without me or at least I'd be better off without the world. And if I'm gonna go to heaven anyway, who cares? But it's because you don't understand the value of your image. You don't understand that the creator of the universe has imprinted on you himself. And you may be marred, and you may be broken, you may have made a number of mistakes, but you're in his image. Therefore, you have value. That's why James, the half-brother of Jesus, later says, why is it with one tongue we praise God and with the same tongue we curse and tear down other men and women who were made in his image? 
We are image bearers of God, even if marred ones. We are image bearers. You are valuable and precious and deeply loved by God. Jesus didn't come just for sheep and fish and goats. He came for you so that you could get back to the Father. Jesus literally came, don't miss this, to be sacred space among us. So that God would again walk with his image bearers on the earth. John literally says this a few verses later. John chapter 1 verse 14. He says this. The word, that's Jesus, the word of God became flesh. And he made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. I don't think you and I use the word dwell very much in our language today, right? Hey guys, I'm getting off work at five. Can't wait to go home to my dwelling. Like we just, it's just weird. We don't say it. But the word dwell is literally the word tabernacle. And if you know Old Testament history, tabernacle is the place where heaven met earth, on earth. It's God's presence. Jesus came, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, to bring again heaven to earth, to be walking sacred space among us. He is not just a good teacher. He's not just a moral authority. He is not just a philosophizer. He is God in the flesh, dwelling among us. And when it came time for him to begin his ministry, I read this last week, but I want you to see it. Matthew chapter three, verse 16 says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a what? You'd almost think God wrote this book. Like, there is a reason the Holy Spirit shows up fluttering down from heaven to land on Jesus in the form of a dove. And we could talk all day long, and it's good. Doves are peaceful, and, and doves move a lot. And somebody told me it's way harder to hunt a dove than it is to, like, hunt a pheasant. I don't know. I don't really hunt anything. I'd probably be more likely to shoot you in the face. So you don't want me to hunt anything. But this is not an accident. God is directly connecting the dots. So everybody there would go, the Holy Spirit came down like a what? But notice, a lighting on him, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. I said last week, it's not the focus of today, so I'm gonna say it quickly and move on. The most common way people receive the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, the book of Acts, is when they are immersed, baptized into Jesus Christ. There are exceptions to that rule, but this is the most common way. If you're out there going, I would love to have the Holy Spirit in me, This is why on Easter Sunday this year, we're encouraging people to get baptized. That's why we've had 13 people get baptized already this year. We got one more actually today. And maybe it's your day. I don't know. I don't know. But what is the relevance then of that? Why is the Holy Spirit coming upon Jesus? Because it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus created the entire creation. It was through the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus did everything that he was going to do next. All of his miracles, everything came after he received the Holy Spirit. His preaching after the Holy Spirit. 
His death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is fully God, fully man. He needed the powering, empowering of the Holy Spirit to do everything that God intended for him to do, just like you do. He's showing you the way. He's showing you the path. He's showing you how to get it done. So why exactly did Jesus come? Well, first, I need to show you something. The word spirit here is the word pneuma, pneuma. Like the P is silent, like in Psalms or pneumatic. You get the idea. The word here properly is spirit or wind or breath. Do you get it? This is right out of a dictionary. The most frequent meaning of pneuma in the New Testament is spirit. Only the context can determine which sense is meant. Meaning, it's hard to separate these things. Oh, this is why Jesus, I get excited sometimes. This is why Jesus says, man, the wind blows wherever it wants and you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. Everybody in Indiana knows that truth, right? You ever golf and you go out and you go, okay, it's a east to west wind. I'm gonna hit the ball and right as you go to swing, like it's north to south, it changes everything. The wind blows where it wants. But Jesus isn't talking about the real wind. Of course the wind blows where it wants. He's using the analogy of the spirit, the breath, the Spirit of God does what the Spirit of God wants to do. He does not ask your permission. He's only talking to the Father and communicating down to you what you need to know to do what the Father wants you to do. But the Spirit has come. You can know what the Father wants you to do. How? Through the Holy Spirit. You can know the mind of God. You can know the will of God. Why is it the number one anxiety most everybody I meet has is, what does God want to do with my life? How do I give my life meaning and purpose and value? Why is that the number one question? Because we're still trying to do our own thing and not follow the wind. But the Spirit of God. Here's the point. Yes, Jesus came to be sacred space among us, but Jesus also came to transform us into sacred space a place where heaven would meet earth in a permanent union. Let me just show this to you now. This is beginning, that was just the intro. Now we're getting into the sermon. I was serious about lunch. Here we go. <laughs> Ephesians chapter two, verse 19, Paul writes, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. In other words, see, when Gentiles, that's almost everybody in here, there's a few exceptions, almost everybody in here is a Gentile. When we came to faith in God, we were stepping into foreign territory. We could not be priests. We couldn't be Levites. We could never serve God in this capacity. You're no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Everything in the Bible was about Jesus, is what he's saying. With Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. If you want to build a temple, you have to lay the first stone. And if the first stone is off, even an eighth of a degree, you know what happens a quarter mile down the road with that stone? Everything's off massively the further you get down. That first stone had to be perfect. Jesus is the chief cornerstone upon which the entire temple is built. What does that mean? Keep going. In him, Jesus, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives, how? By his ruach, his pneuma. I don't know if you get this. You're the church. I mean, I get it. If you're visiting with us today, you're not there yet. That's okay. But God is building all of you into a temple, a dwelling for himself. 
This happens individually and this happens corporately. This happens in me and it happens in us. Because one of us by myself, I am a temple in which the Holy Spirit dwells. All of us together, we're an even bigger temple together. So what happens when you have a temple that's missing bricks? It falls apart. Paul later uses a very similar analogy, analogy of a body. We'll actually talk about that next week. We get into 1 Corinthians 13. Whew, you're not gonna miss that one. The whole idea is, you know, if a body's missing an arm, it's, it's hurting. You can get the job done, but it's gonna be harder. If everybody was a tongue on the body, it wouldn't be a very effective body, would it? So God has gifted us all with different roles and different responsibilities and different parts because together we are a temple. You're a temple. You are sacred space. When you come to God in Jesus Christ and he gives you the Holy Spirit, you are a temple, the walking, breathing place where heaven meets earth so that every time you're checking out of the grocery store, heaven has met earth. And every time you're working for your boss and your boss gives you something you don't wanna do, you got a choice to make. Will heaven meet earth? And every time you see somebody who's hurting or in need, you think to yourself, man, I could buy a boat or I could do that thing. Heaven has a chance to meet earth and God wants to meet it in you, through you. Here's the thing. I probably shouldn't have put this in all caps. I put it in all caps for my notes and then they put it in all caps for the slides and it was probably an accident. It's gonna look like I'm yelling at you. I'm not yelling at you. (laughs) Serving comes from life change. The only reason we serve is because God has so changed us, it transformed us that we naturally give it away. We're sacred space everywhere we go. This is why, by the way, Paul makes his plea in 1 Corinthians 6. Again, if I had another half hour, this would be a great sermon. Maybe it'll be one of the podcasts in the series. Tomorrow I'm gonna do a podcast on women and the role of the Holy Spirit. Now I just got at least 40% more listeners. You have to go online and check it out. But listen. This is why Paul says, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. So don't defile the temple. And heaven has met earth in you. So honor God with your body. Imagine everywhere you go, this is shared space, sacred space. And any of you who are married understand this, right? You got married, you came in, you thought, this is great. I finally have somebody to do my dishes or clean my house. I'm just kidding. I hope you weren't that foolish. But then you start putting the toilet paper on, you like it rolled over and they like it rolled under. You went, what in the world's going on here? You squeeze the toothpaste from the top, they squeeze it from the bottom. You're like, what is wrong with this person? Why are they broken? God fixed them. You throw your clothes on the floor, they hang theirs up. You throw their clothes on the floor, they get mad at you. I mean, it's like, and what's happening is shared space and you're realizing there's two of us here in this place together. It's not just mine. That's the point. Except for the person you're sharing with is not your spouse who is wrong, it's God. And he's never wrong and he loves you. And when he says, don't do this and don't do that, don't go here, go here, give this, don't give that. When he's doing that, he's directing your life like the wind. You've become the walking, breathing, living temple where God dwells now. How would your life look different if you knew that you were a temple of the living God? You. You. And that church was not just a good idea once a month when I got there, but was actually the very place where God has drawn all these little temples together to build something magnificent for himself. This is why 1 Peter 2, 5. I'm almost done, I promise. Actually, we're gonna look at verse five and verse nine. It says this. Peter says, you also like living stones. Do you get those two analogies? 
a living stone. The spirit is in you, you're a temple, but he's also building something bigger. You're just one stone in a bigger temple also. It's yes and yes are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful lights. The whole idea here is the priesthood was restricted to a certain group of a certain group, but not anymore. Now that the Holy Spirit is in you, you have the Holy Spirit in you. So what are you gonna do with it? And I'll just say this, and I accidentally am yelling at you again. Serving leads to life change. Might I just suggest to you that if life is not going the way you ever thought it was, maybe it's because you have not yet stepped into the place that God desires for you to be made you for, created you for, filled you up with his presence. If life is only about what I get from the church, then it is not yet where it needs to be because Jesus says it is better to give than to receive. And every Christian knows that who's been doing this for a long time. And I feel better when I'm serving others when others serve me, although it takes both, it takes both. Let me close with one last verse. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11, I guess that's two verses, no math of Bible college, says this, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. What gift has God given you that you are using to serve him? If you don't know what it is, we wanna help you discover it. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ by uniting with him at baptism, we wanna help you with that as well. What we're gonna do right now is we're gonna pray and take communion. Communion, think about the sacred space, a place where heaven meets earth. You are eating the bread that represents the body of Jesus, drinking the juice that represents the blood of Jesus. And as you do that, we believe that Jesus is in this place with us. Don't just take it and move on. Talk to him as if he's here and say, God, thank you for giving me your temple and thank you, God, for making me your temple. I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna read this last part back to you. And when I say amen, go ahead and go. Your offerings, we have boxes all over on these tables in the back of the room. And I encourage you to start using our app for giving because then you don't have to think about it anymore. But it's a chance for you to bring to God and say thank you. Thank you for all that you've done for me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for your Holy Spirit who breathes life into us, who remakes us, refashions us, God that we were once dead in our sins and transgressions, but now we are alive in Jesus Christ. And I thank you, God, for taking this broken 43-year-old body who can't dribble, can't shoot, slower than he used to be, less hair than he used to have, but you filled him with you. And now I'm a walking, breathing, living temple. And every man and woman in here who wants to be a walking, breathing, living temple, alive in the name and the power of Jesus Christ, can have that union between heaven and earth. Oh God, please don't let the depth of this escape us. God, I pray right now for my brother and my sister in this room who are struggling right now with some sort of sin. They are defiling your temple. 
God, I pray that they would right now through the conviction and the power of the spirit, they would make a decision to get rid of it. And in this communion, they would take the bread, take the juice, and this is the day. This is the day. And they'll tell whoever they need to tell. They'll do whatever they need to do to make sure they never go back again. God, I pray for my brother and sister who've received Jesus Christ. They have the Holy Spirit living in them, <coughs> but they've never stepped into serving. They don't feel valuable enough. They don't feel like worthy enough. But they're image bearers made into a temple for you. God, fill them right now. Fill them with your spirit that they would feel moved and motivated and alive and encouraged to pour out their life to you. So that in all things, you, God, may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever.